1015 WHMP. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Hello, Dan. What's happening, Buzz? How are you? I'm fine. Woke up all rainy and now it's just beautiful. Hey, no complaints, and, uh, okay? Sometimes the rain is needed. And look, the sun is out already. Come on, man. Come on. No beautiful. complaints. I am not complaining. I'm actually... <laughs> I'm just picking on you. Although, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, I slept perfectly. Let me tell you, I went to bed at exactly 11 and I woke up exactly at 7. It's just perfect. I mean, come on. What else? Doesn't what else am I doing wrong? Me. That's right. Well, I had I had this basketball game, this this game I had to watch. I had to watch, and I watched it till its end, and then I was up, and I just didn't know how to get to sleep, and I don't have any idea what to do about that. Hey, Brian Adams, do you have any idea what I can do about that? I do, which is to listen for the next 25 minutes to who we have on today. And uh, hopefully that'll be incredibly helpful to you, Buzz, not just to you, but to all of us. Um, at the end of the day, um, and of almost every day, we do something really weird. We become unconscious, paralyzed. We lie there prone in a maybe somewhat of a sa the same position, um, and we sleep. And when you think about it, you know, it's, it's this essential part of our lives, but it's such an odd thing to do. Someone, somewhere around a third of our lives, we spend sleeping. And we're so fortunate this afternoon to have our guest, Missy Novak. Missy is a PA physician's assistant uh, with Sleep Medicine Services of Western Massachusetts. Thank you, Missy, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And the topic is the science of sleep. So let's get right to it. Missy, a third of our lives we sleep. Why? Why do we sleep? <laughs> right. That's such a great question. It's not just us. It's everything. There are plants that have periods that they're dormant and that come alive when the, uh, when the, when the sun comes up. There are some things that sleep at night. There's something that sleep, sleep at day. It's, it's such an important thing that happens that every single thing does this period of inactivity. And some things do it for very short periods of time. Some things do it for long periods of time. Dolphins sleep with half of their brain at a time. It's so important. And we we are starting to learn, like, like we do in all parts of medicine, what happens and why it happens. But it's very they're very complicated questions to ask. And so we start to get some ideas in part by depriving people of sleep and seeing what happens. And some of these things, we try to augment things that happen, things like memory consolidation, processing of our emotions, growth, and uh, dealing with inflammation and disease processes. All these things are things that we see that a lack of sleep or an appropriate amount of sleep, because there's, some, there's some, some downside to getting too much sleep too, that there's, there's a need for this amount of sleep. Otherwise, it throws your whole body out of whack. And you were saying everything really depends on sleep. Everything. Like, um, seven to eight hours seems to be this sweet spot for <laughs> adults. Why, why seven to eight hours? Is, why is that sort of the magic number? Eight hours, eight hours, get your eight hours. Because when you don't get enough, <laughs> then bad things happen, right? That's how we kind of arise at this number. We look over lots of different studies and we look at how... How well do people feel? How well do they function? And that seems to be the number where 
most people end up at is this seven to nine hour window with eight being right in the middle of that. And when you say bad things happen. Yeah. So bad things happen to those who don't sleep. And what are some of those bad things? What are some of those bad things? So we know that when people don't sleep well, they can start to have impairment at how they function, not just their memory, their emotions. There's this really rare condition that's um, called fatal familial insomnia where people really can't sleep and nobody lasts beyond 10 months when they have that condition. Oh my goodness. Wow. And, and so we know that it's, it serves such an important function that if you don't have it, really death can happen. And most of us don't function at that level. This is a very rare condition. But we can have an impact of how we're able to recall items. So if we don't sleep well, we know that our, our memory recall is poorer. We know that we can have higher, higher risk for getting into things like car accidents. And that would kind of hold true for anything else that requires some higher level of mental functioning and focus. Just with cars, you're going faster. Um, there's different types of sleep, right? We've heard a lot about REM sleep and non-REM sleep. REM is rapid eye movement, is that Rapid right? eye movement, so yeah. So what, what are these, what is the difference between these? Yeah, so rapid eye movement I kind of think about as the quarterback of sleep. They get all the attention, but they can't play the game alone. And so during our night of sleep, we have these stages that we fall into. We fall into non-REM stage one. It's a fairly light stage of sleep then non-REM stage two, and that's where we'll spend the bulk of our night of sleep in this non-REM stage two sleep, which is still kind of considered a, a lighter state of sleep. Then we fall into slow wave sleep. That's a state of sleep that is highest in the beginning portion of our night. Also, the younger of our population would have more of that. And then as we age, we tend to have less and less of that slow wave sleep. And then we go into REM sleep, and then we cycle through that. We repeat that process time after time, about every hour and a half to two hours. Why? <laughs> I mean, it just seems so weird that there are these different phases. I thought sleep was sleep, but no, it isn't. Yeah, no. I mean, and I think that there are lots of people who kind of think about sleep as this lights on, lights off, but there are important processes that happen. I, I think about this in part because we have three young kids at home, so I know that when our house goes quiet, there's lots of stuff that needs to happen. Things need to get put away. Dishes need to get done. Laundry's getting got put in. Backpacks need to get unpacked. And lunch boxes need to get cleaned. So there's all this stuff that needs to happen. And I think about your brain doing this in much the same way. So when, when we go to sleep, our brain is, is free from all the rest of the distraction and processes that happen. And so there's a bit of a filing system that happens. So we know that there's some... Memories that go from short-term memory into long-term memory. There's a little bit of cleaning up of kind of byproducts of using energy during the day. There's a lot of processes and things that happen that your brain now has time to take care of. So it really helps with memory to sleep. I remember when I was in college, professors saying, the most important thing you can do for an exam in the morning is to sleep the night before. If you stay up all night cramming, you get to hear the exam and boom, you, know, you don't, can't remember a thing. So sleep really aids in memory. Sleep aids in memory. It helps both to sleep beforehand and also to sleep after learning. And it helps you forget too? Is that <laughs> right? Because I, I, I was reading this amazing article in Time magazine, and it said 
you know, we can't remember everything. You go through the day and it's like, what color shirt do you have on? What, what is the back of the chair? What's outside the window? All you were bombarded by all these images. If we remembered everything, we'd, we'd remember nothing. And does sleep help us forget as well as to yeah, remember? I, su- I suppose this is a glass half full, glass half empty kind of question, right? Does it help us forget or does it help us remember? Mm-hmm. And so as you take in all this information, your brain has to figure out what's important and what's not as important. And so the stuff that you may need to recall later, we'll move this from a space where there's some short-term storage. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of references to the short-term memory, kind of think about it like a USB, that you would have these experiences that you would have during the day that are stuck on this USB, and you got, you're going to want to put it somewhere that's a better storage space that you can access without it being in this temporary spot. And so those things happen during sleep. And if we look at how well people are able to remember, if we deprive them of sleep, they have a harder time remembering a task. If we give them a a series of uh, information to remember and then we let them nap, the people who have napped are better able to recall this information. If they don't nap, they have poor recall. There's a good study uh, done by... The folks up at UMass who uh, who've done a, a childhood study on on kids who get a, who are able to take a nap versus not take a nap, and the recalls up about 10, per, 10 to twenty percent more after they've had a nap. Okay, so when uh, the when my wife yells at me for napping from now on, I'm like I'm I'm working on recall here. <laughs> I got that little USB port plugged in. You know, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Right. So we all want simple rules with sleep, and one of the things that happens with naps is that naps in short periods are okay as long as you're continuing to be able to go to sleep at night and have a, a, a consistent period of sleep at night. If your naps start to kind of extend a longer and longer time periods and then you have a harder time falling asleep and you have a shorter amount of sleep at night, now you're getting your nap during the day but you're shortchanging yourself of that restorative longer period of time of sleep at night. Brian, so, can I ask a question? Please. I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't know where you were going to give me. But uh, I wanted to ask about uh, all the screens we see. I'm sure Brian was going to ask about this. Um, how does that impact sleep? What's the process that we should follow? Is it turn off your screens and not just computer screens, but now we have phones and iPads, and should we take them into the bedroom before we go to bed? What, what's the rule on that? No. Okay. <laughs> Simple Is rule. The, the no. short no. and easy answer. <laughs> no. Um, but so... This, I'm, I know that we're kind of coming up on a, a little bit of a time here. I'm not sure that I can go through this whole process before we take a break, but I, I will start with sleep, is, sleep is, is governed by two big processes that, that we do. One is your sleep drive. And so I, this is when I describe this to patients, many of my patients will, will hear me say, this is where I think about puppies and kids. So your sleep drive from the moment that you wake up the more energy that you expend, the higher this sleep drive is. So you run them around and get them tired, and, and they'll be more ready for sleep. Then you've got this circadian rhythm. And this is where there's, to some degree, the screens come into play, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they have some light exposure that happens. And you have, you have the circadian rhythm that follows a pretty regular cycle, so long as we also follow a pretty regular cycle. Mm-hmm. So you're going to wor- work swing shifts and work at night, and then you're going to work during the day. Our body doesn't make those jumps quite as well. Mm-hmm. And so there is this sweet spot 
in those two processes where there's an optimal time for sleep. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot, I, and I think Buzz was mentioning this, I'm going to stay up for a, for a game. We do a lot of things where we will push ourselves beyond this sweet spot so that we can do other things. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that happen in society right now that really encourage us to do that, sure. right? Work longer hours, there's stores and computers that are open 24 hours a day. And so well, we have to do a little bit of self-regulation mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. help to keep ourselves consistent with that. Yeah. So screens emit a light, and that helps to kind of impact our ability to produce melatonin. It's not like you're not going to produce it if mm-hmm. you are looking at a screen. Right. But it also plays into two other parts of sleep. So this process C, process S, something that happens biologically, but there's two other pieces that mm-hmm. that can get impacted. One is how close you follow the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other is your brain. Mm. Your mind, if it is, you're, we are great problem solvers. And our mind has gotten us to a space where if there's a problem, we want to figure it out. Mm. And that problem can be, you know, uh, looking at world sustainability and, 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 the, uh, and the environment. But it all, can also be some little mundane thing that just, oh, I said this one word to this person and I bothers me. I wonder if they're going to, mm. should have said something different. And those kind of things can just tumble around in our brain. And if our brain feels like it's got to hang on to something mm-hmm. and figure it out, we're going to have a really hard time going to sleep. And mm. that's where the stuff that we look at on those screens has an impact. Well, what happens to me is if I'm bothered by something that happened in the day, I can go to sleep. But if I wake up in the middle of my sleep, oh, my brain it. will trigger and say, you know what? You need to think about this. And then I cannot go back to the... For the next four hours. Yeah. Right. That's the thing that happens to me. But. We are talking with Missy Novak. Missy Novak is a physician's assistant at the Sleep Medicine Services of Western Massachusetts and is well-versed in all things sleep. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic. The best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. 
and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. First, you're going to install a Goshen stone patio. From there, the stone walkway to the new garden. Next to the garden, the pond, you have it all planned. You were going to do the patio five years ago, the walkway the next year, and the pond, was that this summer? Where do the weekends go? Call Beyond Landscape, the take back your weekend people. Get it all done this summer, or plan and budget it out over a few years. The patio, the pond, if you have ideas, make them happen. Call Beyond Landscape. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Welcome back. We're talking with Missy Novak. She is a physician assistant with Sleep Medicine Services of Western Massachusetts. And we're talking about the science of sleep. Missy, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that people don't come to seek your services when they're sleeping really well. It's like, oh, Missy, I just want to tell you how, how well I'm sleeping. What Talk about some of the common sleep disorders out there and uh, and what people can do about them. Well, I... Actually, some people do <laughs> come to me what? because they're they're sleeping well and they're not sure why they continue to wake up and feel tired. Oh. Uh, so, uh, you know, there is this discrepancy where am I having difficulty with sleep? Do I have insomnia or or is it that I sleep but I don't feel well rested? So one of the more common sleep disorders aside from insomnia would be ob- obstructive sleep apnea, which is a very, very common condition. And what is apnea? We've heard that so much. Yeah, so it's a... It's a period of time during your sleep where your muscles in your airway relax. And as they relax, they block the path of air and you have less air coming through. Your oxygen level tends to drop and that kind of sets the stage for a cascade of events to happen. Your heart has a tendency to beat harder and faster in response to that drop. And your, your brain tends to get pulled in and out of states of sleep because it does have a primary function of keeping you alive. And so uh, it, you don't, good the know. good news is that you don't tend to sleep through it. You may have some awakenings during the night that you aren't aware of, um, but it has an impact on how people feel the following day. And we know that this condition can cause folks to be at higher risk for things like high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke, atrial fibrillation, mm. uh, congestive heart failure, dementia, and is that where you uh, have machines that come in and you're hooked up to one at night? Yeah, yeah. These are, you know, in terms of medical treatments, this is about as uh, as benign as this gets. This is air, so the same air that you normally breathe. You are hooked up to a machine, but it's just going to blow the same air that you normally breathe through your airway in an effort to push against those muscles and help to keep your airway open. Um, one, one thing I, I, I can't quite... Uh, wrap my brain around is how to do sleep studies. I mean, it just seems such an invasive thing. You now you can do them at home. You can come into your clinic. Yeah. But just the act of doing a sleep study, I would think, would completely 
completely disrupt your sleep patterns. Yeah, so, you know, there, I, I will oftentimes talk with people about doing these sleep studies. Our goal is to see what happens when you sleep. It's not to uh, get to have this picture-perfect night of sleep. So there is this limitation where we need to put some things on you to help to monitor what happens during your sleep. And it, it may not be the exact same as a typical night of sleep for you. It, there, you have to remember, we're also looking to answer certain questions. So if you are worried about something that happened the previous day, I, I don't have a magic window into your brain when we do a sleep study. So we are looking for things that would cause some sort of condition to happen, like, like obstructive sleep apnea. We have certain sleep studies that we look for people who have narcolepsy. So we're, we're looking for something that would give us an idea that a disease condition is happening, and we need to manage that in order to help you feel better or sleep better. Narcolepsy is sleepwalking? No, that's a parasomnia. So a sleepwalking would be doing some sort of abnormal behavior during your sleep. What is narcolepsy? Narcolepsy is a condition where you have low levels of a chemical called orexin in your brain. And people who have narcolepsy, despite however much sleep they're able to get, they just never really feel well rested. One of the, one of the signs of, of narcolepsy can also be what is depicted in, uh, I don't see people who happen to do this in the clinic. They're not... Uh, they don't really do this, but in, in movies, you will oftentimes see someone in the middle of spaghetti or some other humorous food and then randomly fall asleep. That is a characterization of something oh. called cataplexy, which can happen with narcolepsy, where they lose their muscle tone. So interesting. So it's it's kind of weird. I mean, there you are at your job, eight whatever hours, 10 hours a day, and then you come back, come home and then you sort of do your job. Which is to sleep. How did you get? <laughs> how did you get interested in this? What drew you to the field? So I, I I was in primary care and I was working long hours and having less time to uh, to interact with my family because I was doing notes uh, for long periods of time and went looking for another field and happened to fall into fall sleep into. fall into sleep and and fell in love with it. It it's been it's it's been so nice to work with patients and make a difference in how they feel and how they function on a day-to-day basis. And I, I, it's, I, 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 I will never leave this field. I, this, is, this is really a, a, a lot of fun. And it seems like there's still so much to learn. So much. I mean, it's just you're, you're at the cutting edge here of just figuring out what it is and how to treat disorders. Yeah. Um, people who want to get in touch with you or the sleep medicine services of Western Massachusetts, how... How does that happen? Yeah, they can uh, they can go on the website, which is sleepmedicineservices.com, or they can call our office, which is 413-253-2767. And you have two clinics, sites, we do. is that right? Yeah, we have an office at the Silk Mill and here in Northampton, and then we have an office down at 3640 Main Street, uh, which is right near all the rest of the medical facilities down in, uh, in Springfield. In Springfield. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. It's so yeah. so. This conversation did not put me to sleep. Hopefully, it will, <laughs> it will, there's so much more to ask you, but we're going to have to take a break. And I think we're going to be back with Jazz in just a little bit. We've been talking with Missy Novak. She's a physician assistant at Sleep Medicine Services of Western Massachusetts on this fascinating topic of the science of sleep. Missy, thank you so much for joining You're us. You're very welcome. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 
WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. School budget talks in East Hampton are hitting some snags. The mayor's proposed $17.89 million budget for the school district is approximately $560,000 less than the school district's request of $18.45 million. The Gazette reports that Mayor Nicola Chappelle canceled a scheduled meeting with school committee members to talk about the budget after viewing findings in the previous three years' external audits that she found concerning. La Chapelle is requesting the school committee and city council agree to an audit by a certified public accountant, as well as technical assistance from the Mass Department of Revenue. Mail-in ballots and early voting would become permanent features of political landscape in Massachusetts under a compromised version of a voting overhaul bill unveiled yesterday at the State House. The bill would increase ballot access for voters with disabilities and service members overseas. It would also make sure eligible voters who are incarcerated can request a mail ballot and vote. The bill now heads back to lawmakers for debate. And Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner says she believes the police chief will emerge in a better light after a new trial. Lawyers representing Greenfield have filed a motion for a new trial in the case that recently found the police department had racially discriminated against a former police officer. The city will likely be in good shape, as will the chief of police. Wiedegardner says Lieutenant Todd Dodge, who was put on paid leave after the first trial, has since returned to work to help the department cover recent cuts to the department's budget. Chance for a scattered shower this afternoon. Most of us will stay dry. A high of 74 to 78. Clearing breezy tonight. Overnight low of 50 to 56. Mostly sunny and windy tomorrow with a high of 78 to 82. Chance for showers both Saturday and Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. One dollar tacos? Yeah. At Mama Iguana's? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Let's go. One dollar tacos at Mama Iguana's? Yes. I don't believe you. Would I lie to you? You're always lying to me. I mean about tacos. How about shrimp tacos? A dollar. Beef tacos? A dollar. I need a margarita. Mama Iguana's, the grand reopening. Dollar tacos all week. Tacos al pastor? Dollar. Mama's back, the margaritas, the enchiladas, mole, and guacamole. Dinner Tuesday through Sunday, lunch on the weekend. And this week only, all tacos, one dollar. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday highbrow? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Highbrow Wood-Fired Kitchen and Bar is one of the exciting restaurant experiences in downtown Northampton. Highbrow features cutting-edge American food and the best wood-fired pizza in town. Meatball pie, chev, and truffle mushroom. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back and thank you for joining us this afternoon. I, it was uh, bright and sunny a moment ago and now it's cloudy and 
Uh, it feels very seasonal today, but um, today is Thursday afternoon, and it's always a great afternoon when uh, Take 5 segment is hosted by Ruth Griggs, and today you have somebody who radio is very familiar with, don't you, Ruth? Radio and jazz. It's a fabulous combination. Yeah, on this wonderful sunny day in June, I'm really excited that Glenn Siegel is my guest. I think he's been a guest on here before, but... This is my treat um, to get to know Glenn a little better as a fellow um, jazz presenter uh, in the Valley and with a history of presenting jazz in the Valley far longer than mine. Um, So we want to talk a little bit about what Glenn is doing with jazz shares, but um, we want to maybe start a little further back and talk about you know, like what brought you to the Valley and how have you been, how have you gotten involved with jazz over the years and in what way, Glenn? Yeah, thank you, Ruth Ruth and uh, Buzz for having me. It's really an honor. And yeah, I was uh, here in early fall with Buzz and uh, Bruce and uh, talking about jazz in the Valley and my role uh, in presenting it. Um, I moved to the Pioneer Valley in 1980. Uh, I'm a New Yorker by birth, Queens, and uh, um, after college and four years in Boston, moved to the Valley, kind of sight unseen, without uh, a really firm agenda. Uh, I had a love for music at that point, um, but was just beginning to produce concerts. I actually produced... uh, Nat Adderley Quintet uh, concert in Boston just as I was leaving town. Nice. Um, and then moved to the Valley and um, soon uh, hooked up with Roberta Uno, who is famous for founding New World Theater at the University of Massachusetts, but also is the founding director of the Bright Moments Festival and the Black Musicians Conference and... Uh, the first iteration of the Solos and Duo series. And she was bringing heavyweights to the university, uh, both theater and music. And so I sort of hung out with her and got uh, learned the ropes through her, actually, and producing the Bright Moments Festival, which was a wonderful uh, free event uh, on the campus Pond Lawn at UMass uh, during July, uh, coinciding with Jazz in July, um, but, you know, I, you know, got to rub shoulders with Fela and um, uh, so many wow. greats, uh, Olutunji and uh, uh, great jazz artists as well, like Max Roach and Billy Taylor. Anyway, so that's how I got my feet wet and, um, and then started working for the Fine Arts Center, producing a series called the Magic Triangle Jazz Series which uh, just concluded a 31-year run uh, this spring with uh, a concert by Adam Rudolph and his Go Organic Orchestra. Um, so that's, uh, that's how I got here. And uh, Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. So you said Fela um, f- from Africa? Fela? Yeah, yeah, Fela Kuti. Was, was Fela a professor at UMass? No, this was a summer... Uh, music series. It was four consecutive Thursdays in July, and uh, one of the con- one or two of the concerts was uh, jazz in July. Faculty and special guests, so more you know jazz, what we call jazz, and the rest of it was 
pan-African. So, you know, one year it was Jerry Gonzalez and his Fort Apache band. Um, one year it was Abdullah Ibrahim and Akaya. And then music from throughout, you know, the African diaspora. So awesome. uh, African musicians, Caribbean musicians, Tito Puente, wow. uh, you know. Oh, that's so that's it was uh, it was amazing, and uh, by the end I got I was the producer of it in its last few years. It the last summer we did it was two thousand. Um, so anyway, um, that's how I started producing in the valley. Actually, I I did a I can't even remember her name, a woman who I met when I just moved here. She had designs to produce jazz in the valley and she had some resources and i helped her produce um a sunny rollins quartet uh concert at the academy of music with special guest pat Matheny. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of wild and i remember uh pat Matheny was it was sunny's gig and pat was very clear that he didn't want to upstage sunny and so we couldn't publicly announced that Pat Metheny was coming to Northampton, which was frustrating for us from a marketing, you know, point of view and selling tickets and so forth. Well, uh, Sonny Rollins, you yeah, should have been able to sell a no, couple of did. tickets. Yes, yes. But, uh, but you know, Pat Metheny's a slightly different demographic, shall we say. So um, anyway, word got out, I don't know how, but uh, it wasn't on our poster and things like that. But anyway, so that was uh, an early experience of producing uh, jazz in the Valley. Um, so so talking about producing, um, like your contacts and where you look and where you find musicians, can you talk? I mean, not that we want to know any of your trade secrets, but like, I mean, if you're talking about bringing in people from, from Africa, musicians from Africa and and, and around the world, is how do yeah. you do that? Yeah, I mean, curating is what I love to do. I mean, that's, you know, I heard uh, Chris Blackwell on uh, Fresh Air uh, yesterday and people like him or Giles Peterson in, in England, you know, people who are curators, they're tastemakers. I, I, I wouldn't call myself a tastemaker necessarily, but... Um, I, I love the curatorial process. I love putting together uh, a season of concerts. Um, and so I, you know, I learn about them by listening and talking, <laughs> you know, to mu other musicians when, when musicians come through. Um, I, I, you know, ask them about other artists and ask them who they're excited about hearing, who's new on the scene, so forth. Um, you know, when I worked at WMUA, that was another easy source uh, to gain information. We had a great library, and uh, Ken Irwin was our music director and, uh, and kept a steady flow of, uh, of new music coming into the station. So mm -hmm. I had access to all that. Mm -hmm. So um, It sounds like it's a, just a continuous research project. And that sounds horrible and not much fun. But yeah, it, no, it, it sounds is. like that's just how your mind works. And you're constantly looking for that next artist in however you can find him or her. Yeah. And, you know, so we're, you know, I've always presented artists uh, in different phases of their career. So, you know, we've had artists 
who are relatively unknown, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, and so that kind of discovering, you know, it's nice to have said, you know, oh, I produced uh, Dave Douglas in the early 90s. I, I, uh, I was you at know, that concert. Yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, uh, we were producing Mary Halverson and Vijay Iyer and Tyshawn Sori and, uh, and other emerging musicians before they became, you know, popular. Um, but we've also presented, uh, you know, Yusef Latif when he turned 90 and uh, actually also when he turned 80 um, and Sam Rivers and Andrew Hill and lots of other uh, musicians who were veterans and sometimes neglected neglected veterans. Um, so, uh, well, so many geniuses. If I may interrupt for a moment, Bruce, I, I'm. Uh, I think maybe after the break, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, and I, we want to hear more about jazz shares and how people can can um, participate. But I wanted to ask you about your blog, Jazz Ruminations, which you are so prolific. Tell us how that started and why. Yeah, I, you know, I've always liked to write, kind of. Um, and actually, in an earlier life, I wrote for The Advocate and The Gazette. I, you know, I got to interview Abdullah Ibrahim and, uh, and Jody Harold when Iron Horse turned 10. So uh, it gives you an idea of, of how old I am. Um, so, so I've always liked to write, and uh, actually it was a colleague at the Fine Arts Center who suggested that I blog, you know, just about the concerts that I've been producing. So um, I started doing that in earnest, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. So, yeah, every concert that I produce, I've written a, you know, six or seven hundred word response to, the, to what I heard, and... So it's part review, part, uh, you know, gossip around the dinner table with musicians, that kind of thing. So. Uh, Ruth, I, just to emphasize how old Glenn is, <laughs> is three or four years ago, I, I just read one that was from May of 2016, one of his, uh, so it was more than three or four years okay, ago. Okay, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> when blogs were just coming on the, yeah, uh, on yeah. the scene. Well, actually, you know, Jazz is redoing our website, and, you know, so we were talking about integrating the blog into the new website, and uh, people were saying, people don't call them blogs anymore, that blogs are, it's a, I don't know. Blog? Blog. Vlog. They put a video blog. Oh, I don't know. they've combined the word. Oh, yeah. So, to yeah. call them vlogs. Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm doing. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea, though. But I, uh, no, this is just written word. But uh, anyway. Um, we'll talk more yeah. about jazz shares after the break. Okay, perfect. Here with Glenn Siegel. Thank you. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. RiverValley.com. Co-op. Yankee Home is having its biggest sale of the year. Right now, you can save up to $2,500 in free labor during Yankee Home's Thank You America Month. If you call Yankee Home right now and mention WHMP, you can save big on a new bath or walk-in shower. You can also upgrade to the kitchen of your dreams or install new energy-efficient windows and doors, all with up to $2,500 in free labor by calling and mentioning WHMP right now. It's Yankee Homes Thank You America sale now through July 4th. Visit Yankee Home right now for more details. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching, coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Using WIC is easier than ever. You can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. Visit us at mass.gov slash WIC, brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program. How is Western Massachusetts and our rural communities faring in this session of the legislature? Are we being treated fairly? We'll find out when we speak to State Representative Natalie Blake who will be our guest Friday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Take 5, and Ruth Griggs has as her guest, Glenn Siegel, who I think has, is responsible for about 275 jazz concerts over the last decades in this yeah. area. It's, it's going up uh, week by week, but uh, we're actually over 300, I think. Uh, but I haven't really added. That's an them impressive up. count, Buzz. I, I didn't know you were keeping count of Glenn's concerts. That's, that's cool. Well, uh, he, he, you, can, you can check him out online, and he, he is so prolific and um, a man with uh, encyclopedic knowledge of not just music, but good music. And um, yeah, and his jazz ruminations are 
extremely informative and well-written and um, an homage to the industry of jazz and the musicians that make it happen. And aren't we lucky to have him here with us, not right only here. in the studio, but in, in the Pioneer Valley. And and uh, we, we were talking a, a little bit about some of what you've done in the past that that has kind of wound its its way down um but there's something very much that's still present in your life and in your heart and in your passion and that's pioneer valley jazz shares so can you talk a little bit about that yeah so uh 10 years ago my wife priscilla page who uh, is a theater maker and uh professor at umass and in a theater department um you know, I was lamenting how uh, how many people I had to turn down for gigs, you know, who were really fabulous musicians who I admired. And so, because I was only, at the time, I was only doing six per year via Magic Triangle at UMass. And uh, so I said, there's got to be a way to just get more activity. I know, I know there'd be an audience for these musicians. Um, and so I've been a farm share member, you know, I've had a CSA for a long time and it just occurred to me that we could borrow that model and use it to get people to sign up and commit money ahead of time before the first concert ripens and giving us the confidence to be able to guarantee, uh, some money to musicians. Um, and so... We had a couple of, uh, you know, we called a group of friends together who I knew were music lovers, and we sat in a circle in our backyard. This is actually, we did it over two nights, and, um, you know, sort of pitched the idea would, you know, is this something you'd be interested in? And, uh, you know, the response, uh, they were all friends. You know, a lot of them were friends or people I met through, you know, who would call into the radio station constantly or come to concerts regularly. So it was a community of listeners, you know. Um, and so, yeah, people were enthusiastic. And uh, I remember David Gowler, who moved out of town, but he's he's really the person who started the River Valley Co-op. He was the first president uh, and, you know, organized the first meetings. Uh, he also started uh, Valley Free Radio. He's a great organizer and a DJ on MUA. Anyway, he, came, he went to the middle of the circle and threw down his $125 and said, I'm in. And that got the ball rolling. So um, so Jazz Share started in my backyard just over 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of like a subscription model. People buy a share or a half share before the season, which typically runs September to June. And um, originally we Guaranteed ten concerts, but we've this year we'll have done nineteen, um, and you know give people a card and we hole punch for each uh, admission, and they can bring friends or give the card to a friend, and uh, so yes, and we have generous sponsorship from businesses, um, and then we sell single tickets to the general public. So those are our revenue streams and a little bit of grant writing, and um, and so yeah, we've been doing 10 to 15 concerts a year for the last 10 years. And, and this year is 19, you said? Yes. In fact, we have one tonight. 
Ruth. We're, we're up at uh, the Institute for the Musical Arts in Goshen, uh, our good friends uh, Ann Hackler and June Millington, and um, we're presenting the Jessica Pavone String Trio there mm. at 7.30 tonight. Mm. And then we're at Bombex on the 19th, um, June 19th, with a, a band called Illegal Crowns, and which I can tell you more about. I'm very excited about that. And then uh, conclude uh, with Sarah Manning. Some of you in our listening audience might know Sarah. She uh, mm-hmm. graduated from Smith and uh, and grew up in the Valley, and she's a fabulous alto player, and she has a new project that she's bringing to Hawks and Reed on the 25th of June. So, Well, and that's what I think is also so wonderful about the Jazz Shares model is that you're all over the Valley. You present all over the Valley. And so... The, the the venues are reaping the benefits of that, and you're exposing your audience members to these different... Aren't, aren't you doing one concert at Wisteria? Yeah, we just did a solo piano concert with Lucy and Bond there just a week ago. Yeah. Uh, so we hadn't been there since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, but that's a place that we regularly visit. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a wonderful thing to do for all these different venues. And it makes it arguably probably a little more complicated for you to organize, you know, and get the, get the music and the sound and all of the equipment there. But Right. Yeah, some, some venues have pianos, some don't. Some have sound systems and people to run the sound system, some don't. Um, so I, you know, I place concerts uh depending on the needs of the musicians and s- instrumentation and so forth. So with the, so with this year coming to a close, are you anticipating doing a similar number of concerts in the 22-23 season? It's kind of looking like that. I mean, part of it, you know, our finances have become a little more stable over the last couple of years. Uh, when Pris- my wife Priscilla and I got married, we asked our guests to contribute to jazz shares as their gift. So that gave us a little boost and we've done some other fundraising and we're actually going to be doing some special fundraising, you know, apart from asking people to buy shares um, uh, now through the fall because we'd like to revive the solo piano series that I produced uh, in conjunction with the Northampton Center for the Arts. So uh, for about 11 years uh, ending in 2012, we... uh, uh, did a series of solo piano concerts at the center. Then they lost their space and were nomadic for a few years. Now they're reestablished on Holly Street. And um, so we're going to work with them to produce uh, three solo concerts. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of in addition to our other jazz shares uh, offering. So, um, so we're going to do some special fundraising around that. So the season next season is is well under construction. So So it sounds like you're doing concerts like every couple of weeks. It's yeah, originally it was like one a month and now it's averaging almost two a month. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, it it all depends cuz our fees are limited, you know, we have to get musicians when they're coming through. So sometimes that means three concerts in a month like in June. Uh, you know, we usually don't do concerts in August, but we're going to do one this August because there's a special uh, band called Numa, uh, which means breath in Greek, I think. Um, three clarinets and a vocalist. Uh, 
with musicians that I know and love. So we're going to do an August show. Um, so we have, we, you know, we have I just to, want be to interrupt Glenn because yeah. we're running out of time and I want to make sure that people know how to do this. Yeah. If people want to become shareholders. So, so here's the concept. People pay a certain amount of money and you're about to tell us how much I think it's 125. Yes. And this great number of concerts that are put on, people can go to any one of those concerts, right? And for that 125 bucks, the artists are being paid um, and the shareholders are guaranteed great music in an awful lot of music for not a lot of money. Is that how it works? Yeah, I mean, it works out to be $12.50 a concert. It's amazing. So how do people get uh, information about how to join? Yeah, the easiest place is to direct people to our website, which is jazzshares.org. And um, there's ways to become shareholders, uh, make a donation, get information on upcoming concerts, some more background on the concept of the, you know, the model of the organization. Uh, we're a 501c3. We have a great board of directors, I'm sure you know, and people around the Valley will know a lot of people who are on our board. Um, so it's a, it's a really community-based organization, I would say. It's, Extraordinary. Uh, Ruth, thank you so much for bringing, Glenn is an icon here in, in the Valley for, for people who love music. And Glenn, thanks for all you do. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, thank so you, take Buzz. Five. Thank you. Okay. Have a Thanks so evening. much. All right. See you Thank soon. You, Bye. Bye. Everybody have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow, four o'clock. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. You still growing. You still growing. Sorry, had to cut you off. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. And tonight, the state delegation is in solidarity with our mayor and with Congressman McGovern, who is leading the charge to stop the closure. The only the live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5